Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Thanks for gathering here this morning. Thank you for bringing the church into a YMCA gymnasium. And if you're here in person, if you're gathering with us online, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for bringing the church into your living room, around your dining room table. Thanks for uh, inviting us into that uh, particular space. Um, if we've never met before, my name is Jamie. It's my great joy and privilege to serve as one of the pastors at Cross Point. And as Eric made mention of, we are doing this series through the month of January called Experience Belonging. And so what we're doing is we're trying to pay attention to this repeated refrain and invitation command that happens all throughout the New Testament where you've got writers like Paul and the Apostle Peter that are calling us as the church to respond to the love that we've received by Jesus than to, in turn, love one another. And so throughout the New Testament, you will see this over and over and over again, this long list of love one another, serve one another, be devoted to, to one another, build one another up, carry one another's burdens, wash one another's feet, greet one another with a holy kiss, like all kinds of interesting things that you find throughout. And so. What we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks is this, is just by way of recap, is for one, every single one of us are created for community. That's the big thing to start with. God exists in community, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we're made in his image, and so you and I need one another. Secondly, if you are a follower of Jesus, here's what it means. It means you and I, we are members of one another. Like, this is an objective reality. You may not always experience that subjectively, but objectively, it is true. It cannot be argued with. It is a fundamental truth that defines our reality. You and I belong to one another if we are in Christ. But because we don't always experience that, that isn't always the reality of what we feel, the scriptures have given us then this invitation to, like I said, to love and serve and care for one another so that we might actually experience this belonging, what is objectively true, that we might experience it subjectively. And so that's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. We're gonna do that again this morning and then finish the series out next week. And so sort of the overarching theme is this call. It's pretty basic, love God and to love others, to love one another. And then if you pay attention to the different one another statements in the New Testament, I think they can be grouped with, there's this call to edify one another, to be devoted to one another, and then to have unity with one another. So that's what we looked at last week is, how do we edify, meaning how do we build up one another with our words? I hope you took the challenge seriously that this past week, we had seven days, like who did you reach out to, to encourage, to build them up? I received encouragement, it is so helpful. And this morning we get to look at what it looks like to be devoted to one another. In fact. Romans chapter 12, verse, the first part of verse 10 simply says this, be devoted to one another in love. And so it ties that theme together of like, love one another, and then there's this particular call, like, be devoted, be dialed in, be pursuing. And so one of the things I've been reflecting on, we're gonna get into a text out of 1 Peter in a moment, but a, a story that comes up in the account of Jesus' life, in the, the book of Mark, there's this story, and I'll just read it to you here for just a moment. This image was kind of seared into my mind over this past week and just thinking about this, like what does it look like to be devoted to one another? What does it look like to sacrifice for one another? What does it look like to point one another to Jesus? And so there's this amazing story in Mark chapter two that there is this man, he's a paralytic, and there's these group of friends and they want to get their friend to Jesus. Like 
We want friends like this, right? Like all of us want, we should desire to have friends who will do whatever they can to get us to Jesus, to point us to Jesus. Like I need those kind of friends in my life. You need those kind of friends in your life. And so here's the account. It says this in Mark chapter two. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room. So there's no social distancing going on, right? They're just crowded together in a room, if you can remember those days, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. He's got these four friends. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So these are some devoted friends, right? Like we need friends like this in our life, all right? And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, all right, because he knows what they're thinking, he knows what we're thinking, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, well, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, I don't think the big idea of that passage is just about friendship. I think that's, that's secondary to this, right? The big idea is at first glance, it would be like, well, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to heal the man? And we would think, well, to heal the man until you know, no, the big sacrifice, the big cost is what it takes for this man, for all of us to be forgiven. It's gonna cost Jesus his life. And to prove that he is the son of God, who he actually is, he said, okay, well, I'm gonna go ahead and heal this man. Though the deeper healing that he needs is to have his sins forgiven. And so at the end of the day, what you have is a group of friends though that are committed to like, we got to get this man to Jesus. I think it's a beautiful picture of devotion. My prayer for us as a church is that we would be so committed to the cause of Christ that we would look out and in moments where we know it's going to cost us, where it's going to be inconvenient, where we're going to think, I don't have the time or the resources, may not have the abilities. This person doesn't really know me. We'll make a thousand excuses but what would it look like to take seriously this call to be devoted to one another? So 1 Peter chapter four is gonna help us uh, with this. I invite you to turn there if you brought a Bible, and if you didn't, again, you can always go to cpwp.life on your phone, swipe over to the second card that says message notes. And so I wanna go ahead and read this particular text. This is the Apostle Peter writing to a group of people that are experiencing hardship, difficulty, suffering. He's trying to encourage them, and he's gonna call them to what it looks like to be devoted. And even though he doesn't use that word devoted, he's gonna talk about loving one another and practically what this can look like. And so, let me go ahead and read this, 1 Peter chapter four, verses seven through 11. Peter says this, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Verse nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. For whoever speaks 
as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, what's fascinating is that this isn't the end of the, the letter, the book of 1 Peter, but Peter is so caught up in just this vision of like everything is about the glory of God. And so he just concludes with this sort of doxology, let's praise him. Because what Peter is consumed with, and we'll start here, is that there's a particular perspective. Now, at first glance, when we look at how verse 7 starts, he says this, the end of all things is at hand. That might seem a little doom and gloom as this apocalyptic, you know, getting ready for like, you know, you know get the canned foods and the, the, the ammo and just kind of like hunker down. Like, is that what's going on? Well, if that was the case, if Peter really believed, all right, like Jesus is coming back any day now, all right, why would he be calling the church to like be consistent and persistent and caring for one another, serving one another, showing hospitality? That wouldn't actually seem to make a whole lot of sense if that's what he was driving at. The perspective that he has is not the world is ending soon, so just sort of kick back, but rather when he says the end of all things is at hand, he's speaking of everything that Jesus came to do. Everything that was promised in the Old Testament has come true. The Messiah has come. And so it's a shorthand way of saying the life the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, he's going to come back. But in the meantime, church, we've been rescued by him because of this work. Everything has been fulfilled, and now here's our calling. And so he's gonna lay out for us, as he did for this church back then, how we are to respond. But I need us to see this and to hear this. And I think there's a great summary of, of this statement. For one, uh, Karen Jobes in her just remarkable commentary on 1 Peter says this, Peter is saying that because his readers are living in the last stage of a divinely initiated process whose outcome has already been assured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, their behavior should reflect that reality, right? So that's what's happening here. So it's just there's this initial perspective. It's like, this has historically happened. You have been made the people of God. Peter would talk about that earlier in his letter so that we might proclaim the excellencies of King Jesus that we might point one another to Jesus and to point our community. And so from there, he lays out in seven through 11 then, the, the remaining part of verse seven, what I say, that just these pursuits. Like what are the things we're to give our time and our energy toward? What should we pursue? And as we look at these, there's really a setup to it all with prayer and then there's three specific one another callings that we see in this text. I think that all fit under this call to be devoted to one another. Like those friends that were like, I gotta carry my friend to Jesus. It's a beautiful picture of what the church could be. But I need us to know this. Like this can sound, oh yeah, this is what we all want. But it is hard, it is difficult, it takes sacrifice. In her book, Megan Hill, she wrote a book called A Place to Belong, which is a really helpful book that I read through in preparation for this series. And she said this, throughout the New Testament, God commands us to mutual care in the local church. These one another commands are instructions for our family life. Belonging to the church, now get this, this is key, will always increase our obligations and decrease our independence. And this is good. 
Every narrative that we are given out in the world would say, no, 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 that, that's bad, right? You wanna, you wanna maximize your independence. You wanna keep obligations at a minimum, all right? It's like why nobody wants to like commit to anything. It's just like, oh, I gotta wait to see. There might be a better option out there. The calling, rather, for the church is to step in and say, God has pursued me. I'm gonna pursue my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what family life looks like, and it will absolutely 100% increase my obligations. It will cost me time. It'll cost me energy. It will stress me out emotionally. There will be battle scars and wounds from being involved with one another. And we will lose some independence. But friends, let me put before you, as Mark Sayers, a pastor and just social commentator out of Australia talks about, he says this, our independence tanks right now, if you think about it, they are overflowing. We have far too much of that and we are devoid of meaning and of community and of connection. And the only way you and I are gonna experience the belonging that we're created for is if we die to some of the independence, take on some of the obligations, say, I'm committed, I'm devoted to you. I'm devoted to one another. And so just at a most practical level, we talked about it in the welcome and announcements. The year is kicking off. I know it looks different right now, but just let me tell you this. It's not possible to live these things out without a context for community. Now, you getting connected in a group, in a Crosspoint community is not the only way that that'll happen. But can I put before you, if, if you're not taking advantage of these things, you're robbing yourself and you're robbing other people of the opportunity to be devoted to one another. And maybe right now you're like, I'm not comfortable gathering with other people, I'm not comfortable doing that, there's a lot of reasons, I get that but maybe it's gonna look different. Maybe you've gotta be creative. Maybe you've gotta say, hey, but there's this friend and we'll, get on, we'll do the Zoom call, even though we all got Zoom fatigue, we will do that. And maybe it's like, I don't know if I can gather with this other group of people for some health concerns or different things, and that is totally understandable. But maybe you've got a friend that you've seen during this time and you feel comfortable being with that person. It doesn't need to be an official cross point group, but what if you just got together with that person? Like, we need a context to live this out. And so to say yes and amen to community and then to not commit to something doesn't make any sense. And so that's the calling here is we are called to live these things out. And so what Peter does then as he continues in this and he says, all right, it's gonna lay out for some, some things for us. But what I find so helpful is he starts with prayer. He speaks of this sober-minded prayer that we see here at the end of verse seven. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers, which is kind of an interesting phrase, but I think what he's getting at is remember the story you're part of. Be sober-minded, be committed to prayer. Like that's where our strength is gonna come from to live this out. It is not going to be easy. It is going to be absolutely challenging, but it is what we are made for. So be self-controlled, be sober-minded, be willing. Ask the Lord for help. Lord, help me die to some of my independence and be committed to my brothers, my sisters. So it starts with sober-minded prayer. And then he begins to let, and he just lays out three things I wanna to touch on briefly. And so as it, as it continues in verse eight, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. That's the first thing. Persist, be committed to, be consistent, make a plan, fill your calendar, like do the reactive responding things, absolutely, right? The things that are unplanned, but then also 
Have this earnestness that you would persist in loving one another. Make plans to love one another. Like, put it on your calendar. Figure out ways, like, how am I gonna reach out to this person? How am I gonna get connected in the community? How am I gonna show them love? So persist in that. And the only way we pers persist in that is when we recognize the way that God has pursued us, persisted in his love for us. That he continues to pursue you. He's after your heart. He's not saying, go sign up for a bunch of things at church because you, know, I, you need to prove to me your love. No, no, that's not what it's about at all. Like, he is crazy about you. He said his affection upon you. But he knows, like, we are so prone to forget that. So we need one another. He's given us one another. Persist in love. And then there's this phrase, love covers a multitude of sins. It's like, well, I thought Jesus took care of my, my sins. Like, Am I relying on this person in my community group or a friend? Like, what, what is that actually getting at? Because that feels a little bit scary. What, it, what really it's communicating is this. When you have a love for somebody, and as that love grows and there's this sincere affection, there's gonna be times, right? That person's gonna do something that annoys you. Uh, you're gonna misunderstand one another. And it's trying to figure out in wisdom, maybe that's not a hill I need to die on. Maybe that's not something I need to call out in, in the moment. What, it covers a multitude of sins. Maybe that person legitimately did sin against you. And it's not to be walked all over. But when you're secure in the love that God has for you, when somebody offends you or slights you or leaves you out or whatever it happens to be, like there can just be this grace. That we've got a disposition towards grace. Paul writes of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 which most of us, maybe we walk around and think, yeah, he wrote that to read at weddings, right? You can read it at your wedding, but that's not really what it's about, all right? And so 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. It's the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, and here it is. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love covers a multitude of sins. I think it's just that disposition, like, I don't need to prove that I'm right in every situation. For one, I'm not right in every situation. But even if I happen to be right in this thing, I don't, I don't need to prove that. You just know that you've been loved and there's a security that is there. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Life in Christ, speaks of what is so deficient, I think, in most of us. I don't mean to project onto you, I'll just speak of it. Like what's deficient in my life is my awareness of the love of my Heavenly Father. Lloyd-Jones says it this way, the more I study the New Testament and live the Christian life, the more convinced I am that our fundamental difficulty, our fundamental lack is the lack of seeing the love of God. It is not so much our knowledge that is defective, but our vision of the love of God. So we gotta keep coming back to this. We gotta get to Jesus, right? Be reminded of, man, he loves us, that he's pursued us that he cares deeply, like everything that you brought in here this morning into this physical space or in the online space, like whatever's weighing heavy on your mind and your heart, like he's with you, that he loves you, that he cares deeply for you, like you belong to him in this vertical relationship and that allows you then, when you rest in that, the best persistent lovers of other people are those that know they're loved by God. Like they just rest in that. And when you respond to them in ways that, you know, would maybe knock other people down or, or would be confusing to somebody, they don't seem bothered by it because they're just, they're so anchored, they're so grounded. What would it look like 
to be those kinds of people. And in God's design, part of the way we become those kinds of people is through one another. As we help carry one another to Jesus and say, we need him. Like we all need him. And so that's the first thing, persist in love. He's, then he says, he speaks of hospitality. All right, so as we keep reading, verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling or without complaining. Now, I think we have misguided views sometimes of hospitality. You might think of it as, well, yeah, I open up my home, I invite my friends over, and that counts as hospitality in one level, but the true heart of hospitality is a welcoming of the stranger. And so, yes, have your best friends over. Have the, those friends that you just feel completely comfortable, so comfortable you're like, I'm not even gonna clean my house. They're just welcome to the mess. Great, that's amazing. But there also is a call if we're gonna embrace biblical hospitality without grumbling, without complaining. Again, we gotta keep going back to how we've been loved by God. I'm gonna welcome the stranger because one time I was the stranger. I was the one that was alienated from God. I was the one who was dead on the, left for dead on the side of the road and God came and picked me up and cleaned me up and brought me in. Like when that grips our hearts. And so there's this call. This is what being devoted to one another looks like, that it would start here in the church. And I know this is hard right now, right? It's been hard to figure out, like, how do you show hospitality to one another when we're not even sure that we can physically be together? And so it is a, it is a monumental challenge, and it continues to be. And so this isn't, though, I don't think there, there's no, I don't know in your Bible, but there's no little asterisk, little footnote that says, when the pandemic ends, obey these things. It seems to be calling us to, regardless of circumstances, and if you study just a little bit of church history to know some of the things historically that were going on when these letters were being written, these were not the optimal times for hospitality. Oftentimes there was actual real threat, like, oh. Like imagine this, imagine like, oh, there's some cars parked outside of that, that house, all right? Like you're gathered for a community group or gathered for a cross point community of some sort. Like what if that like triggered your neighbors to like call the police and you actually could be arrested and you actually could be thrown in jail for that? Like that's the kind of times they're living under. And yet it's not, hey, you know, when Rome is destroyed and things are a little bit more peaceful. Like, no, 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 it's this call. And part of it is realizing what we've been given is meant to invite other people in. I've used this quote before, but I wanna come back to it. Rosaria Butterfield in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, says this, and it is such a poignant reminder and it's challenging. She says this, one option as we think about hospitality, we even think about our homes, one option is to build the walls higher, to declare more vociferously that our homes, they are our castles. And since the world is going to hell in a handbasket, we best get inside. Thank God for the moat and draw up the bridge. Well, doing so practices war on this world, but not the kind of spiritual warfare that drives out darkness and brings in the kindness of the gospel. Strategic wall building serves only to condemn the world and the people in it. This kind of war betrays our faith as hollow, vapid, and powerless. What we need to see is what the Apostle Paul wrote of in Romans 15. Hear these words. When you, when you think about this command, this is what we gotta run back to. When it's like, okay, not only am I gonna be hospitable, but am I gonna do it without grumbling and complaining? Romans 15, may the God of endurance and encouragement, Paul's praying this, it's this benediction over a group of people. 
May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in light of all of this, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So the next time I am tempted to grumble and to complain about this call to hospitality, what I'm being told through the scriptures is, hey, just go back and just think for a moment how welcoming God has been to you. Not just one time in the past, but how he continually pursues you, moves toward you, even when you rebel, when you sin, when you mess up, that he continues to offer grace and forgiveness. He continues to say, I want you around the table. I'm glad you are part of the family. So as we've been welcomed, welcome one another. And the last thing that we see in this particular section, there's a lot more verses that one could look at and talk about being devoted to one another. But as Peter continues, verse 10, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so he says, there are some that are gonna speak. So there's one who speaks oracles, those who serve, serves by the strength that God supplies. So serve one another with your, and their varied gifts of grace. We don't all have the same gifts. Praise God for that. We need the body. This is what we looked at in week one of this series out of Romans 12. The Apostle Paul speaks to this numerous times, like we're a body, like we're, we all have different gifts. But the call is not for you to sit back and use those for your own name, your own kingdom, your own advancement but to serve the body, to be devoted to one another. And church, let me encourage you, like, we don't do this perfectly. And I know we fail in this. I know I fail in this. But I want you to be encouraged. You have been used by God to, to love and to care for people. One of the stories that got submitted online, I just, I'll, I'll put it up on the screen just to, to read the, this to you. It's by one of our partners here at Crosspoint named Adam Combs. Many of you know Adam. I just love how he articulated this, what it looks like to be devoted to one another. He says, there are so many examples that I could give, but one most important to me was when I was at my lowest of lows and suffering from some of the deepest, darkest depression, the people of this church gathered around us as a family and selflessly loved, ministered to, supported, encouraged, and blessed us in different ways. It was done in a spiritual and very practical ways, like making meals for us, watching our kids so we could go on dates, and helping financially support us as I had to take time off of work to focus on mental re rehabilitation. This we will be, for, be forever grateful for. Like stories like this, what would it look like to continue to be a church? We're so devoted to one another because we know that Christ is so devoted to us that it cost him everything. And so yeah, I might give up some financial resources or some time or some energy or some just kind of emotional bandwidth, but I didn't give up my life. I didn't get nailed to a Roman cross. Like Jesus did that for us to die in our place. And so as we think about these gifts, some of you, are very, you very much know what they are, but some of us are like trying to figure that out. You know how you figure it out? It's in doing something, it's not in studying. John Stott said it this way, gifts are discovered in service. So just start serving. We may rightly ask about the gift we've received, but we will not gain the answer by introspection. So the call isn't, I gotta figure this out. I'm gonna go read a bunch of books. I'm gonna, how about do this? Just start trying to serve people. And you'll figure out along the way, like, 
oh, this comes naturally to me. Oh, the Lord has gifted me in this way. Like this really resonates with people. People feel loved when I do this. But in each of these, what I'm wanting us to see, this call to persist in love, we do that because we've been loved by God. We extend hospitality because we've been welcomed by God. We serve one another because the Lord Jesus as Mark 10, 45 says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That we were enslaved, that we were stuck in our sin. We needed to be liberated. He did this for us. And you know when he states that? He states it on the heels of the disciples arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you're missing it. This is not about you and your ego and you being awesome or you know, virtue signaling to the rest of the world like how amazing you are so you get certain likes on social media or any of that. It's like, no, 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 like, are you practicing? Are you just serving one another? Are you doing the things, whether they're seen or not, maybe they're behind the scenes, but ministering to one another. And so as we think about this, all right, this is a big part of what it looks like to be the church. Like we're a family of missionaries that were sent on this mission. So I want to state something here this morning that I I hope isn't like a novel idea. I hope it isn't like the first time you've heard of of this, but it is worth reiterating and driving home something I believe that we need to not just give cognitive sort of assent to, like we need to believe this, own this, know this at a deep convictional level. And that truth is that the church is a people. It is not a place. The church is the people of God sent on the mission of God for the glory of God. Like that's what we're called to be about. And so we need to hold that. The church is a people, is not a place. And we need to hold that at the deepest level of conviction. And yet, I do believe that one can have a place that can help us be the people of God sent on the mission of God. Like those are not opposed to one another. The one is meant to be ultimate, that we're the people of God. Yes and amen to that always and forever. But a place can help in that regard. And so if you're wondering like, hey, didn't they say there's some like big news or big announcement or something, or you got cryptic, you know, social media messages or emails that you're just like, what, like what, what's going on? Like, what is the thing? Here's my opportunity. I want to loop you in on something um, that's, that's come before us. And I wanna invite you all to be, to be praying for your leadership, for your elders, as they make decisions about this. But a few months ago, there was a, another local church by the name of Altamont Chapel, and they reached out via a mutual friend, got in contact with me, and I met with some of their leadership, and basically, if I could summarize it, they said, listen, like, we have these facilities, and they're not, they're being way underutilized. We desire to continue as our our church and having this particular service, but the space that we have, most of what we have on this campus sits empty the majority of the time. And they invited us into a conversation to say, would you guys be interested in not doing the setup and tear it on and all that? And, And listen, to be perfectly honest, like it's something we have prayed for. It's something that like always just keeping my eyes open for like what the Lord would have for us while also knowing the church is a people, it is not a place. You're not more of a church when you have a building or when you come into a space and you set up in a gymnasium. Like it literally doesn't change the reality 
objectively in the church, the people of God. And yet, I believe that there can be resources and tools and things like facilities that can help us be able to love one another and serve one another, be hospitable to not only to one another that are part of the church, but those that are not yet connected to the church and all of that. And so we've always been open to that. And so there was a series of, of conversations to the point that where last week their church had a congregational vote that said, hey, we would love to have a shared use arrangement to welcome cross point to come and to be to use our campus to use our facility and, and all that and there's a lot more details to share but they voted yes in favor of that and said hey what, what do you guys think and so now that that has actually happened we want to be able to say hey church like here's some of the conversation here's some of the things that have happened we want you to to see this space we want you to help to join us in prayer. And so let me just give you a quick little preview and then invite you to come. Our vision night tonight, we're gonna meet there. We're gonna have time to see all of this, to tour it, to hear more of the backstory. This whole sermon is not just about, about this, but it is how might the Lord be leading? And so we're trying to discern that. But direct your eyes to the screen. Enough of hearing from me. You can check this out for a moment. Yes, yeah, so all of the cryptic messages from me, you know, um, there you go. But we want to invite you, please join us tonight. If you, if you can't join in person, we are going to be live streaming it, that you could go back and watch that, whether live um, or, you know, as, it, as it's happening. But Vision Night is today from 4.30 to 6, Altamont Chapel. If you go to cpwp.life slash vision21, and we're going to send out emails this afternoon and all, all of this, but... The information is there, that video is there, the address is there, the details of, of that meeting. And so we've got some other opportunities. If you're like, oh my goodness, like, is this the only chance to see it? No, we're gonna have a prayer gathering there on the campus, outdoors, the next Sunday, a week from today, another opportunity to see the space, all right? And so in all of this, we just wanna invite you to like, Pray with your elders as we try and discern, is this what God would have for us? We want you to, to see it. We, want, we need your prayers. We're inviting you to, to join in. And at the end of the day, the church is a people. It is not a place. 
but we believe a place can be a helpful tool and space in order to extend hospitality, to be devoted to one another, to help live these things out. And so, again, put that up one more time. Vision night is today, 4.30 to 6 p.m. And so with that, let me close us with verse 11 here. I love what Peter does as he's laying this out and he's calling us to one another. He ends with what the ultimate purpose is. And church, like our purpose, it is bigger than simply gatherings. It is bigger than facilities. It is, it is bigger than any one of us individually. Like there's this, this purpose that we have been called to as the church. Like we are called to mission, but one day as John Piper says, like mission will cease to exist, right? But worship, glorifying God will go on forever and ever and ever. Like it will never, ever cease. So Peter says this, in 1 Peter 4, verse 11, he says, so whoever speaks, he's talking about our gifts, and he says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. This is what we want to be about ultimately as a church. We love one another. We are devoted to one another. We edify one another. We serve one another. We pursue unity with one another. We do all of that to the glory of Christ. So that his name would be made more famous. That there might be more worship that would happen that would be directed toward him. That's our calling. That's where joy is found. And the Lord gives us good gifts he gives us our particular varied graces, the gifts that we have. He provides resources, spaces to meet, and he provides all of that. But at the end of the day, it is so that God would get his glory. And so church, I wanna just pray for us right now. The worship team's gonna come back up, and I wanna encourage us to respond in a, in a couple of ways. For one, to take some time as I pray and as you just reflect, even as the next song is, is played, what is it that you need to confess? Like, where have you failed to remember the love that God has for you, and in turn, have failed to love other people and to pursue them and to be devoted to them. Celebrate then. We're gonna do this together as we partake in the, the Lord's Supper in just a moment. Like we're gonna celebrate together what the Lord has done. But I wanna encourage you in this. Commit. Commit to being devoted to one another. Commit to getting yourself in a context where community and loving one another can happen. Like commit to getting part of a cross point community. Commit to being involved in the life of other people. Commit to serving, again, not to earn anything, but in response to what you have been given. And so we are gonna celebrate this meal in a moment that reminds us of everything that the Lord Jesus has given to us. And so those of you that are here in person, we invite you, after I prayed, come up while the next song is being sung, come up and grab the elements on either side of the stage, take them back to your seat. We'll partake together in a few moments. Those of you that are worshiping with us, gathered at, in your respective homes, gathering online. You can get elements together and participate with us as one family. People of God, mission of God, for the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness and your grace. Thank you for the ways that you continually, faithfully pursue us with love that you continue to provide for us. God, thank you that we have this meal, we can celebrate how deep your love and affection is for us, that you would send your son 
who would pursue the will of the Father, though it would cost him everything. The joy that was set before him, Jesus, you endured the cross to bring us into the family so that we might belong, that we might be connected to you and in turn to be connected to one another. And so God, would you continue to build your church? Would you, would you grant us wisdom? We need to hear from you. We want to discern your will. Would you lead and guide? We thank you for opportunities to be partnered together with even other churches in this community. God, we thank you for the opportunity that's before us. At the end of the day, God, we want to trust you. We want your will to be done. At the end of the day, God, we want you to do what you want to see happen so that you would get the most glory. And God, I pray that we would be submitted to that as a church. I pray that we would remember our calling, that we, by your grace, are the people of God. And so God, I pray in all of this, God, that you would get the glory that only you deserve and that we as your people would experience a deep and abiding joy. We pray these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.